0: Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to break down the Sunday, March 26th slate of college basketball DFS four the last two games in the Elite Eight. That's right. We're going to get to see the last two teams cut down the nets and um, punch their tickets to Houston next week for the Final Four. And we've got DFS slates on DraftKings and FanDuel that we can have a little bit of fun while we're watching these two great games. Me personally, as a Texas Longhorns fan, it feels like I've waited forever for Texas to be in this spot. So uh, I'm going to enjoy watching. It. I'm also going to enjoy playing some DFS while I'm doing it. And I'm probably going to have a few Longhorns in my lineup. So um, we're going to break down just how you should set up your lineups. The guys from each game that I want to be putting into my lineups uh, and just kind of some stats and trends that you need to know when constructing your DFS lineups for tomorrow. Now, we will be back next week for the Final Four. We will also be doing, uh, the NIT slate as well. Uh, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast feed. Uh, that way you'll be notified when new episodes drop. And while you're there, please rate and review. Uh, believe it or not, your support helps me out a lot. I want to make this the biggest college basketball at the FS podcast in the world. Uh, and I believe near the end of year one, we're getting close, but I could use a little more help and I could use you guys to help put me over the top to get there. All right. So that does it for the introduction guys. Um, Like I said, we got two great games ahead of us. We got San Diego State, Creighton, and Texas, Miami. So uh, let's go ahead and start off with the first game of the day, which is San Diego State and Creighton. But first, let's get a quick word from our friends at Spotify. All right, so in game one. It is the lower scoring game of the day. So, in terms of setting up your lines, I probably wouldn't look to stack this one. I definitely think there's some options that are worth their price tag and some options that can really give you some value, uh, but probably not the one I'm going to be stacking, if I'm being honest. Kenpom has this game as Creighton 68 to 67. San Diego State is fourth in defensive efficiency, according to Kenpom, and 255th in the nation in tempo. So, not only are they slow, but they're great at defense, and they are also one of, or they are the best three point shooting defense in the country they allow the lowest percent of three-point makes uh, for their opponents of any team in the nation. Now, Creighton, on the other hand, they play a little bit faster tempo at 139th, but they do play great defense. Um, they are placing 14th in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. So you're looking at two teams that really know how to defend, one of which will kind of get up and down. The other just wants to drag the pace down. Um, so I really just don't think the game environment here in this one is going to be the best. You're not going to see a lot of possessions. You're not going to see a whole lot of points. Now, what's interesting about this particular matchup is that these two teams actually played in last year's NCAA tournament. They were also really close to playing in Maui this year. Um, but anyway, in that NCAA tournament matchup, it was a 72-69 to win for Creighton. But it really wasn't that high scoring. The game went to overtime. And it was 62 to 62 at the end of regulation. That's 124 points being scored. That's not a whole lot. Now, that game did feature a pretty similar cast of characters. Uh, Ryan Nemhard for Creighton was out for the season, um, but they did have Ryan Kalkbrenner in action. He had 16 and 10 against San Diego State. Trey Alexander actually led the team in usage rate. Uh, he took 15 shots, had 18 points, four boards, and five assists. Now, on the San Diego State side of things, they got a big game from Trey Pulliam, who is no longer there. But they also did get a big game from Matt Bradley, who is still there. He led the team in usage in that game. He had 16 points, 8 boards, and 3 assists, and took 19 shots. Uh, two other guys that are there now uh, did not have great games, however, though. And that's Nathan Mensa. Uh, he played 13 minutes and fouled out. Five fouls in 13 minutes is kind of wild if you ask me, but it is what he did. Uh, Lamont Butler also dealt in foul trouble. Didn't play his normal minute load. Didn't really have a whole lot of production either. Uh, So I don't really think you can go by his stats from this game a whole lot, but we can see that Matt Bradley did have some success and did have a lot of usage against Creighton last season. Now, in terms of how these two teams are constructed, they could not be more different in terms of rotation. Creighton really only wants to play their starting five. Like, they really don't get a whole lot of bench minutes at all. The only guy that really plays off the bench is Francisco Farabello, and he just kind of is out there long enough for everybody to get a blow, and then he goes back to the bench. You'll see Frederick King maybe come in for two or three minutes at center, but that's about it. So basically, one player is getting all their bench minutes, right? San Diego State has nine guys in their rotation who average more minutes than Francisco Farabello. Their entire starting five and four guys off the bench. So basically, nine guys for San Diego State play more minutes per game than Creighton's only bench player. So basically, nine guys on San Diego State play more minutes per game than Creighton's entire bench. It's kind of wild. But what that does for us is that makes it really easy to pinpoint where the production is going to come from for Creighton and really tough to pinpoint where it's going to come from from San Diego State because nobody has a super high minute load. Nobody has really just this super like predictive game log where you can just look at it and know that a guy is going to give you a certain level of production. So let's kind of see if we can break down the San Diego State team and see where we can find it for this game. Matt Bradley is their highest priced player. He's at an even $6,000 on DraftKings. He is their team usage leader on the season, so it absolutely makes sense that he's the highest priced player. He did not have a great game in the Sweet 16 against Alabama. He had about nine fantasy points in 19 minutes played. He did deal with foul trouble in this one, so he didn't get to his normal minute load, but he wasn't really that effective when he was in the game. He was two for nine from the field. Um, so really, I, I kind of think that if he had played his normal minutes, he might have you know had a chance to salvage that game because you know he just gets a lot of shots. Like right? he, he's kind of their go-to guy offensively right now. And so the bottom line for him is that as long as he's on the court, he's going to have opportunities to accumulate a lot of fancy points. Whether he actually does. I'm not going to guarantee one way or the other, but he definitely is going to have a lot of opportunities because of how many shots he gets and because of how much usage he gets. Lamont Butler is second in price for the Aztecs. Now, he's a guy that normally doesn't typically get a lot of shots. He kind of gets to value um, by getting those peripheral stats. You know, he only has a 21% shot rate on the season. But what's good news for him is that he's taken 17 combined shots in the last two games and resulted in back-to-back games of four times value. So I kind of think Lamont Butler, like, we can kind of keep riding the hot hand here, right? Speaking of the hot hand, Darion Trammell is another guard who is, taken a lot of shots in the last two games. In fact, he's taken 25 total shots in those two games and had 53.8 total fantasy points in those two games. That's about average of 27 fantasy points per game. Now, there's no doubt that he was a beneficiary of Matt Bradley being in foul trouble. When Bradley was on the bench in the second half, a lot of their offense ran through Trammell. Um, And while I don't think that, like that is going to happen again. There's definitely a possibility that it does happen again. Um, And I definitely think there's a possibility that, you know, maybe they see a mismatch that Tramiel gets and he gets a lot of shots. Um, I really, in this matchup, prefer playing the San Diego State guards as opposed to the bigs. Uh, Just because Ryan Kalkbrenner for Creighton is a great defender. He pretty much locks down Uh, the paint and doesn't let centers really do a whole lot one-on-one on on them if you want any evidence of this look no further than their first round game against dj burns dj burns is an outstanding low post scorer for nc state and he just didn't do much of anything at all against ryan kalkbrenner kalkbrenner just seemed to have an answer for anything burns wanted to do down low Um, so i really am just not super excited about playing these san diego state bigs now statistically there's also some red flags that worry me as well Nathan Mensa came through with 27 fantasy points against Alabama, which leads me to believe that some people are just going to click him into their lineups for that reason. But it came because he had five blocks. And if you're watching the game, it was blocks that like these little guards for Alabama, Sears and Quinterly, they're trying to get all the way to the rim and go right up against uh, Mensah. And it's like, dude, like, what do you think is going to happen? Right? Like, why not pull up for a mid-range or pull up for a floater? Like, just if you go right to the rim, he's just going to block it. Like, throughout the whole game, it's what kept happening. And I don't get why they kept doing it. So I really don't think that Creighton's guards are going to do that, especially considering they can watch it on film. Uh, And so what worries me about Mensa is that he hasn't played more than 23 minutes in the game since mid-February, and I don't think he's going to get the same five blocks that he got against Bama. Now watch me say all this, and he ends up with seven blocks or something, but hey, I just don't think it's a very likely outcome that he gets to 27 fantasy points again if he doesn't get the blocks and he doesn't have a whole lot of minutes played, which he's not going to. Jaden Ladeep actually plays even less minutes than Mensa. Uh, he is dependent on low post scoring to hit value. And so like against Creighton, I'm, I'm just not interested in that. He's a, he's a guy that's just kind of a full fade for me tomorrow. If, if I get beat by Jaden Ladeep, I get beat by Jaden Ladeep. Now, Micah Parrish is a guy that I can get behind, though. He's sitting in even $5,000 on DraftKings, listed as a forward on FanDuel, by the way. He should be a popular value play, and I think for good reason. He's had back-to-back games over eight shots, back-to-back games over 24 fantasy points. He has at least six rebounds in both those games as well. Now, if you want to make the argument that Matt Bradley's foul trouble helped him against Bama, I I can buy into that. He played 28 minutes in that game, which he hasn't done in over a month, but that same argument doesn't apply to the Furman game where he still had 24.5 fantasy points. So I really don't have a problem going back to Micah Parrish. He's been one of my favorite value plays in this tournament so far, and I have no problem continuing to go back to him. Keshad Johnson is... um, He's just kind of eh to me. Like, he just, he doesn't play a whole lot of minutes. He doesn't have a super high usage rate. He doesn't give you, like, big-time fantasy performances. Like, I'm just just not interested. Um, and, in fact, against Bama, like, I would consider that a spot that he should have smashed in. Like, he had 11 shots in that game, and he still only had 18 fantasy points. Like, for a guy that doesn't have a high shot rate, the one game you get 11 shots needs to be your smash game, and and it wasn't. So, I'm just not interested in Kashad Johnson. Uh, Aguak, Arope, and Adam Seiko are just... You know They're the last two guys off the bench for San Diego State. They do play minutes. They are out there, but they're just punt plays to me. Their usage rates are very low, but they are going to be out there on the floor. If you wanted to punt away one of your positions, um, then those two are valid options. All right, now let's talk about Creighton, which is going to be much shorter than San Diego State because they only play five guys. So Ryan Kalkbrenner is the highest priced Blue Jay, and I see why. He's been over 32 fantasy points in two of their three NCAA tournament games. And in those two games, he's had a 24% usage rate in both of those games, which is much more than his season average. Now, I really think in the NCAA tournament, they've been kind of more eager to play through him. Um, And he's also playing 32 minutes a game, which is a lot for a big man. So I really like the spot Ryan Kalkbrenner's in. Also, I know that the San Diego State defense is kind of something that people fear And they're really good defensively, right? We went over the metrics. But they're not really great individual defenders, in my opinion. They're great team defenders. They send a lot of help to the ball. They really understand ball screen defense. They really understand, um, you know, help side and, you know, positioning and just all of that stuff. But they're not like – Lockdown down one-on-one defenders, especially down low. Um, the bigs that they have down low are better at coming from help side and blocking shots as opposed to just defending a guy one-on-one. So I actually think that this is a pretty good spot for Calc Brenner. I think if they do play through him in the low post, he's going to be able to have some success, which he did the last time those two teams played. Baylor Shireman um, is, I mean, he's been great in the NCAA tournament, but when you look at everything he's done over the course of the season, there are two paths for a big-time game for Baylor Shireman. One is being hot from three. Two is flirting with a triple-double. And I got to be honest, I don't see San Diego State as being a great matchup for either of those things. They're a great three-point shooting defense. In fact, best in the nation, like we talked about. Uh, and in terms of the peripheral stats, they're going to slow the game down. They're not going to let him get all these rebounds and assists from the increased number of possessions that they're seeing. So I just don't think that there's as much of a path for Baylor Shireman to you know, hitting value as there is some other guys. Now, the counter-argument though Is that he did have a big time thirty nine point eight fantasy point performance against Princeton, and he did that on only an eighteen percent usage rate. So the counter argument would be like, hey, like what if he gets just a little bit more usage? His season average is twenty one percent, and you know what if he's able to just use that increased usage to get more fantasy points? I absolutely get it, but what I'm telling you is the two pathways for him to have big games. San Diego State excels at preventing, so. Baylor Shireman, not one of my favorite plays tonight, even though he has been a guy that I played a lot all season. Trey Alexander and Ryan Nemhard have both been great in the NCAA tournament. Alexander has hit four times value twice, Nemhard once. And I gotta be honest, I-, I don't know when to pick which one. Um, I-, I can tell you about what both of them do. Alexander is a little bigger. Alexander takes more shots, but Nemhard gets more assists, and Nemhard usually wins in usage. That, that's pretty much the tail of the tape. That's like the only differences they have. They're both guards. They both played hard. They both defend well. They both can shoot three. Like I, They're very similar players. Um, I don't mind playing one of them in my lineups. Um, if you're asking me to pick which one, I'm probably going Alexander uh, as opposed to Nemhard. But that's just, I don't know, that's just based on what they've done lately, I guess. I don't know. The two of them, they're both solid plays. I, I, I don't know how you would pick which one. I have no problem playing both of them. Now, Arthur Kaluma is another guy that I'm kind of putting in the Shireman category where I'm not that excited about. I just think when you look at everything he's done, he has the lowest ceiling of all of Creighton's starting five. But the good news for him is that he is a regression to the mean candidate. He averages a 23% usage rate, and in the NCAA tournament, he's been right around 21% for those three games. He's also one for eight from three in those three games. He's a 32% three-point shooter. So he's a guy that could definitely be a nominee for, hey, what if this guy just goes back to what he's been doing all season long and all the numbers regress to the mean? I definitely think that you know that could happen for him. It's a possibility, and I think that a lot of people aren't going to click on him because of what he's done recently. So I definitely think that you could get him lower owned than he should be if you do think he's due for this regression. All right, that does it for game one, San Diego State at Creighton. Um, If I were to make a pick – I'm picking Creighton. Um, I just really like what they've done. Uh, I said heading into the tournament that i liked NC State to beat them, and I thought that the rest of the bracket set up really well for NC State, and it turns out Creighton is doing all the things I expected NC State to do, and they are looking really good doing it. So uh, I'm picking Creighton to win this game. I don't think San Diego State's going to have enough offense. Um, So now let's go ahead and take a quick breather, and then let's talk about the Texas-Miami game. Mm. All right, so I have a full spot here to talk about my Texas Longhorns, which is kind of nice. I haven't really had a, you know, just an opportunity to just kind of like call ISO and you know get everybody out of the way and just talk about Texas. So this is gonna be fun. Anyway, I do think the Miami Texas game is going to be the preferred game stack of the day. Ken Palm has it as Texas seventy nine to seventy four, which is about. Let me do the quick math here. 18 points higher than the Creighton San Diego State game. So you're if you're wanting to stack the Creighton San Diego State game, you're really taking a bump on the total and the number of possessions you're gonna see because let's talk tempo. So both teams in this nation or both teams in this game are top one hundred in the nation in tempo, according to Ken Pom barely. Miami's 92. Texas is 108. That still counts as top 100. Now, both these teams are different profiles, if we're being honest. Texas is 10th in defensive efficiency, which is really solid. They've kind of taken that Chris Beard no middle system, and they're still executing it against Rodney Terry. However, they are playing at a much faster tempo under coach Rodney Terry than they did under Chris Beard. Miami is 104th in the nation in defensive efficiency. They are statistically the worst defensive team that was in the Elite Eight. Now, for Miami... Norchad Chad is is Miami's most expensive player. He's been really good in the NCAA tournament. He scored at least 32 fantasy points in all three of those games, which because he's under $8,000 means that he's hit at least four times value in all three of those games. Now, Nor Chad O'Meer doesn't command a super high usage rate, but he gets to value in fantasy scoring by grabbing a lot of boards. And I'm not going to lie. We mentioned this on a few occasions here on the podcast before. Offensive rebounding, while giving up offensive rebounds, is one of Texas's weaknesses. Their defense is 218th in the nation at giving up offensive rebounds. It's not good. And Omir has a 15.8 offensive rebound rate, which is 12th in the nation. There's only three power conference players that are ahead of him. they Zach Eady, Oscar Sheboy, and then Josh Gray of South Carolina, who you may or may not have heard of. But anyway, you heard the names Eady and Sheboy, right? Like he's an elite offensive rebounder. Now I think this could be a huge problem for Texas. I really do. Uh, I expect Dylan DeSue to miss this game, so they're going to be a little bit thinner, uh, a little bit smaller down low, um, and I could see Omir just having a day on the offensive boards. Now for the rest of Miami's rotation, Isaiah Wong is their usage leader. He's been over twenty five percent in back to back games. And in those two games, he's attempted 28 total shots, grabbed 14 total boards, and he's hit four times value in fantasy twice. Now, the one thing that would concern me a little bit, and this goes for Wong, Pack, you know, Poplar, Miller, maybe, maybe not Jordan Miller, but all of Miami's guards. Texas is kind of locked up, the high usage guards recently. You know, Sulu Boom uh, Friday night didn't do a whole lot. Jalen Pickett for Penn State didn't do a whole lot offensively. He got a lot of peripheral stats, but didn't do a whole lot in terms of scoring. And, you know, all of Texas' guards, Carr, Hunter, Rice, they all defend. They all defend well. So I really think, I don't know who they're going to put on Isaiah Wong, but I can about guarantee you the game plan is going to be, hey, like we're not going to let these guards get loose. We're not going to let Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack beat us one-on-one. And so I really don't think that this is the best matchup for them. However, in terms of the tempo and the usage, I think that there's still a spot for them, especially considering you definitely want to be this game for the game stack. Now, Nigel Pack, to me, makes a great GPP play. When he has big games, he has big games. Like, he, like I'm talking like five times value. Like, when he goes big, he goes big. Now, he actually has a higher shot rate than Isaiah Wong, which I found surprising when I saw it. Um, but again, I fear he could be another victim of this Texas perimeter defense. But the counter argument for Pack is, like, he's just taking so many shots, like, if enough of him go in, he's going to hit value. Like He's taken 39 total shots in the NCAA tournament. And I just think that with that amount of workload, he's going to have a chance to give you value, even if he is being toughly defended. Now, out of all the Miami guards, and I use guards in quote-unquote quotation marks for Jordan Miller, um, Jordan Miller is their most consistent in terms of production even though we you know he plays the four but he is a guard I, I know he's listed guard in DraftKings. so i'm gonna call him a guard so out of all their guards he's been the most consistent he's been only tw- under 27 fantasy points once since january and that was 23 fantasy points he wasn't that far under it now i think he has the narrowest path to a big game in this one uh, as all the miami players though Texas is likely going to play small if they're without Dylan DeSue. So you're not going to see Jordan Miller as a mismatch. Like He kind of does well in games where teams play two bigs and they try to either go after him on the defensive end or, you know, his ability to space the floor and attack off the dribble helps Miami on the offensive end. Like, I don't think this is going to be that situation against Texas, you know, minus Dylan DeSue. So I don't think this is the best spot for Jordan Miller. If I'm playing any of the top Miami guys, it's probably Omer. And then second would be Nigel Pack just because of the shot rate that he commands. Now, looking farther down the board for the Miami guys, Wooga Poplar is intriguing. He had the questionable tag coming into Friday's game versus Houston. Does not have it for this Sunday game. Now, Houston's strategy was pretty much just like, we're going to let Wooga Poplar shoot. Kind of like when you go play pickup, and there's the one guy on the other team that like, everybody knows can't shoot, and you just kind of leave him open, like maybe not like wide open, but like you give him space. You're like, Hey, like, I don't mind if you shoot that. Like that's kind of what Houston did to Wooga Poplar. He took 13 shots, which was a season high for him. Now the downside is he only made five he was one for seven from three. So it only turned into 18 fantasy points, which is, Not terrible, but not great. Like, not what you would expect from a guy who took his season high in shots. But the good news is for Poplar, he's going to be on the floor a lot. He's going to have to play a big role defensively. In my opinion, he is their best perimeter defender. Uh, I don't know who they're going to stick him on, but he's going to have to play 30 minutes. He's going to have to be out there. Um, And so you could definitely do worse for your value plays than a guy who is going to be out there and a guy who's probably going to get a decent amount of shots because, hey – you know, Miami didn't win that game because Wuga Poplar got hot. Like, they won it because they, you know, Omir was great and the rest of the guards were great. Oh, they didn't, Houston didn't lose that game because of their defensive strategy on Wuga Poplar. Let me phrase it that way. All right, now, Bensley Joseph is really the only bench player for Miami that's seen consistent minutes. For his price tag, I don't think he's at a great spot, but... He does have a legitimate path to four times value. Like we've seen him hit it. You know, he has chances to do it. And he's pretty aggressive when he's in there. Like he's not a guy who's just going to come in and get cardio running up and down the floor. Anthony Walker is the other guy that plays for Miami. Um, He had played 16 minutes and had 13 fancy points against Houston. Um, And pretty much that was his ceiling game. Uh, I'm not really going to chase that in my opinion. He's a punt and he's a punt that, you know, has a little bit of upside, but I'm not chasing that. I, I would rather play one of the other punt plays that are available. All right, now we get to talk about Texas. So um, I expect Dylan DeSue to, to miss this game. I've already, I've already told you guys that. Now, I, I just think that just everything that you know went down Friday, the, the way the injury looked, the way that he came back immediately in a boot, I just don't think it bodes well for him playing Sunday. I think he will be able to play in the Final Four should they make it there. Um, you know, and it's a shame that he misses this game because he would have been an incredible mismatch, right? Now, I will say when it comes to replacing Dylan DeSue, Um, If you've seen the movie Moneyball, there's the scene where they're talking about replacing um, Jason Giambi, right? And they're saying, like, you know, we're not going to find one guy to replace Giambi. We're going to do it in the aggregate. We're going to find three guys that can give us the same stats that uh, Giambi was giving us. And that's kind of what Texas did um, in their game against Xavier. We're going to find three guys that are going to play minutes at the five and kind of play that role a little bit. And we're gonna replace Dylan Dassue with the aggregate. Now, the big one was Christian Bishop, who is probably the big the best true five that they have outside of Dassue. He played 24 minutes and had 28.8 fancy points against Xavier. He had a 28% usage rate in that game, which checks out about with where DeSue's usage rate was in the last five games heading in. So I think Christian Bishop, I don't think they're the same player. I don't think they will be used in the same way, but he's probably the most straightforward nominee to pick up the DeSue production. Now, a guy that I really like in this spot is Brock Cunningham. He's just a glue guy. He plays really hard defensively. He'll get a lot of rebounds. He's a high IQ basketball player. He's going to get assists and steals as well, and he can knock down and open three. Now he played 22 minutes and had 12.8 fantasy points against Xavier. And one thing I do think you can look at for Cunningham is that when Timmy Allen was out of the lineup in the big 12 tournament, uh, he played really well in the big 12 title game against Kansas. He had 28 fantasy points in that game. So he does give you a very legitimate ceiling. Now, the third guy that they replaced him with uh, was Dylan Mitchell. And this one's kind of the most Um, I'm kind of reaching a little bit here. He played 11 minutes against Xavier and had 0.8 fantasy points, which is um, not ideal. And when you look at his game log, he's pretty unpredictable. You don't really know how many minutes he's going to play. You don't really know um, what he's going to do when he's out there. But what we do know is that he was a top recruit. He's long, he's athletic, and if he gets extended run, he has some upside. Before February, it was not uncommon for him to put up 20 fantasy points in 20 minutes, and he's the type of guy that he's going to come in very low-owned, and he really could win you a GPP if it does work out. Uh, and so he would probably be my preferred punt play on the entire slate, if I'm being honest. Now, what I do want to mention is that playing Bishop, playing Cunningham, and playing Mitchell, particularly when they played Cunningham at the five, or when they went with um, you know, Cunningham and Timmy Allen as the two bigs, Texas spread the floor. And they had five shooters out there, and it really opened up the spacing, and it really spaced it out in particular for Marcus Carr. In this game against Xavier, he had a 31% usage rate. He had 18 points in that game, and it was his first four times value fantasy game in a long time, you know, with 32 fantasy points. Now, I just really like how this sets up for Marcus Carr. He's a ball-dominant guard, and, you know, he's going to have the ball in his hands quite a lot. I, I just have no problem going back to him. Now, I would also expect to see a lot of Serge Barry rice and Tyrese Hunter paired with Marcus Carr in this game. Kind of the secret formula to what they did against Xavier was they played all three guards at the same time, and they, they're they all three so good on both sides of the ball that offensively, they just kind of picked their mismatch, right? Like, they kind of went after whoever was being guarded by Adam Kunkel or Suley Boone. Like, they didn't attack the guy that was being guarded by Colby Jones. And it worked. Like, you know, the, the guard that was, you know, the on-ball guy was having a lot of success. And I don't think that... A lot of teams have a lot of, you know, depth at the guard position defensively that can match up with three guards who can all go get their own bucket. And so I think you're going to see that kind of formula in here against Miami as well. And I think they're probably going to attack whoever Nigel Pack is guarding. It's just my guess. Now, Serge Barrett Rice in the Xavier game only had 24 fantasy points, but he had a huge 29% usage rate that game. If he gets that same usage rate again, I'm pretty confident he's going to, you know, go with more than 24 fantasy points, particularly against Miami, a team that is not great defensively. So I definitely don't mind going back to Serge Barry Rice. Tyrese Hunter is the last of the guard trio. He is seemingly always chalk. Like he just always sees high ownership, which is a little annoying, but like, I get it, right? Like uh, DraftKings priced him up to $5,900 to try to avoid that. And I'm still playing him. Like, like there's a like one thing that annoys me in the DFS community is when people complain that chalk hits because like, chalk is chalk for a reason like they're chalk because they're the best plays on paper and logically and the numbers dictate that they're great plays and so that's why a lot of people are playing them and so that's why sometimes chalk's going to go off and so i kind of don't mind playing chalk tyrese hunter in this one you know he's going to play a ton of minutes like he averages just a, a lot of minutes and he can fill up the stat sheet in every category And that really gives you a bonus as well because you're not dependent on his scoring, uh, which can kind of come and go. And four of Tyrese Hunter's last nine games are over four times value, even at his inflated price. I did the math on that one. So I just really like the profile he's coming in with. And like I said, I know he's gonna be chalky. Maybe people don't click on him because of the increased price, but I'm kind of willing to eat that chalk with Tyrese Hunter. Now, Timmy Allen is the last guy that we have to get to talk about here. Um, he's just a solid player, man. Like he just does a lot of good things on both sides of the ball. Doesn't command a super high usage rate, but he is efficient with his touches. He will get you a lot of rebounds and he can uh, run the break and get assists off of defensive rebounds. Um, I don't really know if Miami's a good matchup for him or not. Um, it'll depend on how he's utilized because when he's had his best games or when he plays the three and the other team has to put like a little guard on him like like against Baylor when they had LJ Cryer guarding him or he has some games also where he plays the four and um, you know teams have like this big lumbering big man on him and he's able to spread him out to the perimeter and attack the basket like I don't think Miami's gonna be do either of those things against him so I don't know how this is gonna play out but I do like the usage I do like if DeSue is out, that's going to kind of give a little bit extra usage to Timmy Allen as well. I have a feeling. Um, And in the NCAA tournament, he's been great. Timmy Allen's averaging 28 fantasy points per game in his last two games. Um, So I'm just, I have no like worries about putting Timmy Allen into my lineup. All right. That does it for the Texas Miami game. And that does it for the Sunday elite eight slate. So, Um, hopefully gave you guys plenty of information that you can use to help build your lineups and help make it a winner on one of the last college basketball, DFS slates of the season. Remember, we will be back for the NIT slate next week. We will also be back talking final four next week as well. Uh, So make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. That way you will be notified when those episodes drop. You can also catch our golf episode. The masters is coming up y'all. So if you want to get a little bit of practice in before playing DFS or betting or whatever for the masters, make sure you check out our preview for the Valero, Texas, Open, which will also be going up um, sometime this week. All right, that does it for the episode, guys. Um, I'm super looking forward to this slate, um, mainly because my Texas Longhorns are playing an Elite Eight game, um, and I'm really hoping that you know they can finally punch that ticket back to the Final Four. Feels like it's been forever since I was a kid watching TJ Ford play for the Longhorns. So really looking forward to it. Hopefully they come out with that dub and hopefully you and me come out with some money from DraftKings and FanDuel um, for winning in the contest on Sunday. All right, best of luck to you guys in all your DFS endeavors. Thank you guys for listening and I will see y'all next time.